Hey sisters, welcome back. We are in part two of our three-part series of our love walk out of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. This particular series does have a homework assignment. So if you go into the show notes, there'll be a link there for you where you can actually take action steps in developing and examining your love walk with individuals in your lives. I pray this episode blesses you. Hi, family. Welcome to God's Word Transforming Lives. Are you wanting to learn the Bible verse by verse, one letter at a time, with real-life application? Then this podcast is for you. My name is Amy, and I have been teaching the Word of God to women for over 15 years now. I came out of some trauma from my childhood, and it left me feeling so empty. And after searching high and low with everything the world had to offer, I always came up short until I learned the Word of God for myself. And it was in that that I became transformed. So if you would like to be transformed by God's Word, then stick around and let's do this together. Did you know I have a free sisterhood community of women just like you? Women who love Jesus when they love one another? They too are looking for that deeper walk with Christ and they love learning his word. If you pause right now and click the link below in the show notes, it'll take you right to the Facebook group. We look forward to getting to know you. Welcome back, sisters, as we are talking about love and we are coming out of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, and we're talking about the 15 different active loves that Paul gave us as a directive on actively loving one another. Remember, these are adjectives. This is not something we just say with our mouths. These, This is action. This is act, what we call action fruit coming out of Galatians 5 when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. The, this is action. This is the things that should be seen in our lives. These are things that we are actively walking out, actively participating in this love. And so we did one through five on the last teaching. And if you missed that, you can go back and listen to that. We are on number six, which is love is not rude. It is not rude. We are not rough in our speech or tones, or crude, or raw, or harsh. You know, sometimes we meet these people like, well, I'm just bold like that. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to tell you like it is. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it like it is. Listen, boldness is a beautiful thing. Peter stood up, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He, and he, in all, and so he could go out and he preached the gospel with boldness. Boldness is a beautiful, beautiful attribute in the body of Christ to have, because we need to be bold for the gospel and bold for truth. But there is a way to be bold. And here when it says love is not rude, it means we're not rough in our speech. So we may be bold. Are we loving? Are we gentle? Are we meek? And are we humble? That is what needs to pour out of us is the love of God and the peace of God and the gentleness of God. These are the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, 21. And so we need, our mannerisms needs to be gentle. Uh, We need to be gentle in situations. We need to be, you know, very cautious of our speech and cautious of our tone. Sometimes our tone can be really harsh and, and just, you know, rawr. And you, maybe you don't mean it. Like your heart's like, no, I'm actually thinking love, but it's coming out you know, really harsh. And so we just want to be careful and cautious how we're talking to one another. 
especially when we don't always agree with one another, especially when, you know, maybe we're having a, a doctrinal disagreement or we're disagreeing about something that we're really passionate about. And, and trust me, I'm actually preaching to the choir because I am that bold person who defends the apostles teachings, defends the word of God. And I have to be really careful when I'm encountering people that have a different worldview than me or a different biblical view that I don't get harsh and I don't get too, um, you know, rude. I got to, you know, in, in, insist on my own way and then heighten my speech and heighten my tone and start being demeaning or talking down to them. That is not love. That is not love. I need I am to not have a quarrelsome spirit and I am to have a gentle spirit, be slow to anger and quick to listen and not be somebody who debates and argues and heightened. And if I feel myself starting to get like that, I remove myself from the situation. If I cannot get it under control or really get it to where it's like, this conversation is not going to be fruitful. It's not edifying. I'm not presenting the love as I should, I will remove myself from the situation and try to let them know how much I love them. Because that's what it all boils down to is when I walk away, even if we didn't agree, do they know that I love them, that that, that I, I genuinely love them and I care and that I am somebody that they can approach again someday because I wasn't rude and I wasn't puffed up as we talked about last time. Because why? Number seven, love does not seek its own. We are others oriented. We are not selfish or self-seeking. And we're always asking if this is the best possible decision others in our lives. So often we make decisions in the church based on our own preferences. What do I want? What do, how is this going to benefit me? And we don't think of the consequence of how it's going to affect others. And that is not love. That's selfish. That's greedy. That's egotistical and it's pride. But it says here that love does not seek its own. So when I'm making a decision, when I'm thinking of, you know, maybe there is a need that I really want, or there is something that I prefer something over whatever, but am I thinking of others greater than myself? Everyone else maybe loves the worship the way it is, you know, or maybe the worship team, just this is their heart and soul. I'm not on the worship team. You know, and maybe the worship isn't the way I'd love it to be, but I'm not see, I'm not here to seek my own. I'm not here about me. If I, the worship music that I love and desire, I get to listen to it seven days a week, technically, um, because I can come home from church and listen to it. If I want, I can listen to it all day long by myself. It's not about me. And I'm not going to cause a ruckus. I'm not going to leave a church because of it. I'm not going to, you know, cause disunity over it. Because I need to think of what how it's going to affect others. The decisions that you make and that I make among the body of Christ needs to be others-focused, others-oriented. And we need to have enough love and respect for each other that we talk about these things and that we're think, putting others greater than ourselves. The word tells us to think of others greater than ourselves. And it also tells us to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. We are to be submitted to one another, loving each other, thinking of each other greater than ourselves. 
And that's a very hard thing to do, especially in the society we live in today, which is very individualistic and autonomous. And it's all about us. And we have been indoctrinated with humanism that makes it all about you. What makes you happy? What needs do you have that need met? What, what it's, it's literally so me centered that coming out of that mindset literally takes a supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ. In, in, the, in this love that Paul is talking about is the agape love of God that should be the evidence of any born again believer. Now, none of us do this all perfectly. We are all having to go back and, and continue to grow in this area and pray into this area and change us for the changes by God in these areas. But we should be ever growing in this area. I can look back on my life and I can see throughout my entire walk, how I just continue to grow in love and grow in love and grow in love. And so there should be a fruit and an evidence of growth. All right. Number eight, love is not provoked. We can handle insults. This is tough. We do not snap back and we do not return harshness for harshness or put down for put down. We don't resort to anger. First Peter 2, 23 and three and nine where Jesus did not return harsh word for harsh word. When he was faced with the crucifixion, faced with beatings, he did not, you know, he's being lied about. He's being said things that aren't true. And he could have called down a legion of angels. He could have ended it all right there, but he did not return a harsh word for a harsh word. He did not return revile for revile. He did not seek revenge. He came to lay his life down for his enemies. And if he could do that for his enemies, how much more can you and I do that for our friends, our brothers and sisters, where we do, we should not be easily provoked. And there are going to be people in the church that provoke you. They're going to be rude. They're going to be puffed up. They're going to be um, self-seeking. They're going to be jealous. They're going to be um, impatient. They're going to be unkind. They are not going to walk in this love as, as we so would want them to. And it can easily provoke, right? Provoke us to anger, provoke us to jealousy, provoke us to getting back to the me-centeredness, you know? Um, I don't have to put up with this. I can take my tithe and my my family somewhere else. They'll they'll rue the day that, you know, uh, that they messed with me, whatever. I don't know, revenge. And, and that's being easily provoked. People are going to call you names. People are going to lie about you. People are going to gossip about you. It's, it is a part of the sad reality in the church, though it shouldn't be named among us, shouldn't be part of us because there are goats among the sheep. There are tares growing up among the wheat. There's always going to be unbelievers mixed with believers, even inside the church. And we have to understand that. Then there's also babies in Christ. They're, 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 they're born again, but they're just, they haven't been discipled yet, or they've been in the church a long time, but they've never really been discipled. I've ran into a lot of people that have been in the church for 30 years and do not have basic Orthodox Christianity down and have no idea how to live as a Christian. It's the saddest thing that I see, but it is, it's, it's a reality because discipleship is a lost key to the church. And the, and the word of God is not preeminent anywhere anymore in most churches. And so people are not getting proper discipleship and proper training, which we are supposed to be trained up in the word. And so you're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to mature you in this area of not being easily provoked, being able to handle insults, to handle gossip, to learn how to handle it biblically and how to just start communicating with one another and forgiving each other and washing each other's feet 
It is it's it's part of becoming a, a mature Christian. Jesus washed the feet of Judas. He was not provoked to anger. He washed his feet knowing what he was going to do. The disciples literally right before he washed their feet were literally arguing about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Talk about selfish, egotistical, and pride. Christ is getting ready to be crucified and they're arguing about who's greater. Well, I've, you know, now this is what they were saying at the time, but I think of like today, well, I've, you know, I'm a pastor of, you know, this many years. I've got a PhD. Well, I've got a master's. Well, I, you know, teach the largest, you know, children's ministry in Northeast Ohio, whatever. I don't know. But point is Christ wasn't provoked. He, you know what he did? He just took off his cloak, took the towel, wrapped it around his waist and knelt down and washed their dirty feet. And that's what we do. Someone's gossiping about you. Someone's lying on you. Someone's making up stories. And trust me, I've had some real doozies made up. I've gone through some stuff in the church. Got to wash their feet. Got to be like Jesus. Don't be provoked. Take it to the throne room. Just take it to the throne room and pray for them and just love them. That's love in action. Jesus bent down and washed their feet. That's love in action. Nine, love thinks no evil. We don't automatically believe everyone's motives are evil. We do not think of evil ways to treat people and give people. We we want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Someone does you dirty. Someone does you wrong. You know, maybe they didn't mean to. Maybe they honestly thought they were doing something, you know, good. We've all been raised differently. We've had different life experiences. We've been given, you know, different life skills. And so sometimes what I would think is common sense, like don't do that. Don't say that to them. That's all they know. I mean, maybe that's how mom and dad were. Maybe that's the church they came from. Maybe whatever, you know, get to know one another. Don't just automatically assume that everyone's got an evil heart, that everyone has ulterior motives. Everyone just wants your money. Everyone just wants your, you know, what, what this, that, or the other, Nobody loves you. You just got to go eat worms, right? Love thinks no evil. And this is difficult. And I, I'm going to be vulnerable. This is hard for me because I have seen so much hypocrisy. And I've seen so much um, stuff within the institutionalized church and within uh, from professing Christians. And I have just been here long enough to see things that have absolutely just broke my heart into a million pieces. I've watched, you know, people I love dearly go into apostasy. I've seen, you know, pastors that I thought were legit, you know, like I really thought they were the real deal end up cheating on their wives and committing adultery. And, you know, I, I mean, I have seen things that just can sometimes make you critical and cynical and mistrusting. And so I, this is something I have to fight a lot is not necessarily that I think they're evil, but just, you know, does everyone have a motive? Are you really here for the right reasons? Why, why are you a pastor? Why are you whatever, 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 you know? And, and so I have to, I have to fight this a lot and just, and this is where the, uh, some of the other ones come in to play that we'll talk about. So let's just go on. Number 10, love does not rejoice in sin. We're not secretly or openly happy when others in the family fall into sin. Even if it's somebody that you, I always had a bad feeling about them. That's where we don't think no evil of people. <laughs> Having a bad feeling. Feelings are fickle. Feelings can come from anywhere. Feelings can be 
led by hormones. Okay. We, we cannot be ran by feelings. I have, I have been so hurt in the past by people who are like, um, I just had a bad feeling about you. Okay. Why have I have done, if I done anything to you personally to give you that? No, but I have a bad feeling. Okay. Well, feelings can come from the enemy. Feelings can come from hormones. Feelings can come from past hurts and traumas. You know, maybe there's, there's certain mannerisms about me that are a trigger from somebody who did hurt you in your past. I mean, so we got to be really careful with the whole, I have a feeling about people. And I'm not saying we just discard, discard every feeling or that there's not an intuition or the Holy spirit kind of checking us sometimes on certain things. Cause there is, there are times where it's like, Ooh, you know, but I then judge the fruit. I'm not just going by the feeling. I'm going to check it with the fruit. Fruit is action. So I'm going to look at the fruit because I know that the enemy is a deceiver and a divider. And so he's going to try to get you to disunify people by giving you feelings about them. And so be very careful with that. Do not rejoice in sin when somebody falls. You know, when I remember, you know, when a pastor that we were with at the time who I love dearly and then find out he's having, uh, he's committing adultery on his wife. There was nothing in me that rejoiced in that. I wept. I was so broken. I was so um, in shock and it just broke me into a million pieces. And there's a long story that kind of goes with that. And, but I didn't rejoice in that sin. First of all, it, it, it's a very poor witness to a lost and dying world. When that happens, it's a poor witness to Christ. It's a poor witness to the body. It's, it, it's, it's a shame to all of us who profess Christ. And so it, I never rejoice in that. And even when it's somebody who has really hurt you, someone who is really maybe just when you think, oh, they've really hurt me. And then you find out later they they're in sin. It should still not cause us to rejoice in that. Sin is destructive. Sin leads to hell. Sin separates people from God, their creator. How can we rejoice in something so heinous? How do we rejoice in that? I was once a sinner. I I was, I still battle sin. We all do. But I mean, I was once dead in my sins and trespasses. I once was an enemy of the cross and doing all these things. And even as somebody who I professed Christ and was not truly born again. And so I was a poor witness at one time. And so we don't want to rejoice in things that send people to eternal damnation. Remember everyone, every human being is made in the image of Jesus Christ. They're made in the image of God. And so they are image bearers and we want to love them. We want to um, pour into them. We want to see everyone reconciled back to the father. That is the heart. That should be the heart of every believer and even our enemies or our perceived enemies. Let us not rejoice when they fall into various temptations <clears throat> and understand if you do rejoice that you too can find yourself falling into a very similar temptation. The word of God talks about that too. Pride before a fall, pride, you know, we really need to um, be serious about that. And so I'm going to end this one right here. And we're just going to go to a part three. And just remember, these are action tools. These are action love for you to grow in your love walk. And in part three, at the end, I'm going to give you a great tool 
how to really implement this with individually with people and how it's what I do to grow in my love walk with people and especially people that challenge my love walk for various reasons. And so Lord, I just want to, um, I do want to lift up the the hearers father that you would help us father to help us not to help us to not be rude, help us to not seek our own, help us to not be easily provoked, help us to think no evil and let us never rejoice in sin, sin that nailed you to the cross. Let us never rejoice in it. God, let us help us to grow in our love walks, help us to, um, be more kind to one another, to think of others greater than ourselves, to walk in that greater love and that greater unity, Lord. Continue to uh, just transform each and every one of us through your word, Lord. I pray blessings over each and every hearer, Lord. I pray um, that you just continue to transform them and build them up and mature them and connect them with your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If it has blessed you in any way, would you give me 30 seconds and share it with a friend of yours? One more small little favor, if you would, head over to whatever podcast source you're listening to this on and give me a five-star review. That would be so great. It helps get the episodes out there to other people who may be wanting to learn God's word. Again, Don't forget, guys, until next time, it is a crockpot faith, not a microwave. With God's word, discipleship, and patience, you too will be transformed for his good work. Grace and peace, I leave with you until next time.